0: Welcome to this episode of the Disease Du Jour podcast on the topic of equine colic with Dr. Allison Gardner. I'm your host Kim Brown, publisher of EquiManagement. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2021 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Gardner is a DVM and a diplomate in the American College of Veterinary Surgeons large animal and a diplomate in the American College of Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care large animal. She is an assistant professor in clinical equine surgery, Department of Veterinary Clinical Science at The Ohio State University. We're happy to welcome back Dr. Gardner on the podcast. Welcome Dr. Gardner.
1: Hi Kim, thanks so much. It's great to be back and and this is such a wonderful podcast you put on.
0: Well, thank you so much and we really appreciate all the help that you've given us on some of the, the previous podcasts. But today we're talking about equine colic and we're this podcast is mostly for veterinarians, vet techs, vet students. So this is to try and maybe help remind them some of things going on with colic and to take advantage of some of your expertise. So let's just jump right in with how can veterinarians help owners better prepare for a colic?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Kim, this is a a topic near and dear to my heart. It's, It's why I went into emergency medicine. It's one of the most common emergencies we see here at the hospital, but it's absolutely one of the most common emergencies that that are RDVMs and what you'll see in the field. And owners all all have a different perception of what colic is, and it's just such a range of diseases that are covered under this colic umbrella, from a mild spasmodic gas colic to something requiring surgery, or or may not um, even. Or may cause the horse to not even uh, be recoverable afterwards. So um, generally uh, what what I'll tell owners when I'm talking to them is educating them about what colic looks like from the mild flank watcher or the chronic colicker that just turns its nose up at some feed um, up to uh, the horse that is intractably colicky. Um, a lot of times if, if I'm worried that a owner has a horse that's at higher risk for certain types of colic, then we may have a discussion about what to look for. I think very classically we see a large colon volvulus in post-falling brood mares. The areas of this country where there's a lot of brood population, particularly in Kentucky and Florida, they've got really great success rates with large colon volvulus, which is absolutely a surgical disease. But the reason they've got such good success rates is because the owners really look for colic, especially in those couple weeks after foaling, and the, the referring vets know to get them on a trailer and get them to a surgical facility as fast as possible. So sometimes signalment comes into to play. Um, I also worry about um, potential for strangulating lipoma in any horse over 15, and certainly any horse over 20, especially if there's distended loops of small intestines on exam per rectum. So just a little bit of owner education. Um, I also will will show owners how to check a heart rate on their horse since that's one of the biggest prognostic indicators in whether a colic pulls through or not. And they can either buy one of those $25 um, stethoscopes uh, certainly don't need anything really fancy, or they can just put their their hand right behind that horse's left elbow or on the, the facial artery to check for a pulse and talk to the owners about, um, about normal values for that. The other thing that I'll try to gently remind owners is that uh, banamine is a nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory. So if it doesn't cut the pain with one dose, it probably won't help to give the horse another dose. We sometimes will have owners come in and they've got given the horse, you know, three or four times the, the dose of banamine, maybe that horse should have gotten in the last couple hours just because it hadn't been working. And I think a lot of owners get our, our alpha two agonists and our nonsteroidals confused. So a lot of that's with owner education and then talking through what colic looks like. Um, with them. And I think it's a really good way for vets to get to know their their owners out in the field and do a little bit of continuing education. And it's it's kind of a fun way to get involved with FFA and 4-H groups because the kids um, in those groups really seem to like to know how to do a physical exam, especially since a lot of them may be considering careers in veterinary medicine um, uh, themselves.
0: Yeah, the the kids are always very interested in learning more about veterinary medicine. So that's a great tip for the vets. Okay, so you mentioned banamine. So what should recommend, excuse me, what should veterinarians recommend that horse owners have on hand to prepare for a cop?
1: Yeah. And I think a little bit depends on on your comfort with the client. It is a a prescription only medication, so there's gotta be a, a Veterinary patient-client relationship there, but um, um, with the most clients, um, I trust with phenylbutazone or vanamine or bantamine flunixin megalamine, They're both non-specific cyclooxygenase inhibitors, and certainly um, I'll usually use banamine for colic and bute for more orthopedic disease. But if an owner has one and not the other, they can they can use that. Um, and so um, what what I'll We'll leave with the owner is usually banamine paste. Um, the oral banamine is easy to give. And even though the label on banamine says that it can be given intramuscularly, IM banamine is the the main um, the main medication that we see that results in clostridial myositis. It's really rare, but the, the Linux and megalamine injection can result in cholesterol myositis if it's given IM. So usually I like the oral route, um, unless it's being given IV by somebody really competent with giving IV medications. And so what I'll tell the owner is for an average thousand-pound horse to give um, a thousand-pound dose of banamine of while they're waiting for the vet to arrive, or if they're really on the fence on if to refer um, or pardon me, call out their vet or not. And Those spasmodic colics, the gas colics, they usually will resolve with just a dose of banamine. And sometimes those horses look pretty uncomfortable. They can be down rolling, they can be laying down, they can certainly flank watch and be pawing, but they should resolve relatively quickly with just a dose of banamine. And that's a good thing for owners to give while they're waiting for the vet to arrive. Um, There are certainly owners um, that have access to alpha-2 agonists to sedations, um, things like that. But, but I think that that requires a pretty tight um, veterinary patient-client relationship. Um, and certainly if the sedatives really treat the pain associated with colic, that can refer medical intervention, which absolutely correlates to, to increased morbidity and mortality in the animal.
0: And that's a good tip. So what else do you when you're talking to your owners um you you've talked about signalment you've talked about heart rate you've talked about having some medications on hand that they've been trained with is there anything else that you think veterinarians should train horse owners maybe when to call them or at what point they want to hear from the vet
1: Yeah absolutely so I think um the the first soapbox to get on and and I'm guilty of this myself but we definitely have a food is love um uh i deal with our our animals especially those that we consider family members and a lot of the most common colics are are slowdowns in gi motility where a horse may start to eat when it feels better and that might compound the problem and and you guys out there know i'm mostly talking about impactions pelvic flexure impactions and and feeding an impaction can cause it to make it worse. So one thing I'll talk to owners about is, is a horse can certainly go overnight without getting its dinner. They might be really frustrated with you, but I'd rather a horse be frustrated with not eating rather than, than um, go backwards in treating a colic. So that's the first thing. And then as far as when to call the vet, um, I think if if the colic signs are really severe, then then immediately and um, worst case scenario, you can call the vet if the banamine works um, and tell them the horse looks better. Um, but but the, the more severe the signs are, the quicker the client should call their veterinarian. So any signs of rolling, especially in horses with, with an increased risk of, of say large colon volvulus, um, strangulating lipoma, the ones I mentioned earlier, Um, And then if the colic's been going on for longer, maybe it is the milder signs of just blank watching, not wanting to eat. Um, But if that persists overnight, that might be worth having the vet come out. And then walking through those physical exam parameters that are are abnormal. So normal heart rate, so 36 to 48, if it's in the 40s or 50s, then, then we can see if the banamine works, but any horse with a heart rate over 60 or 70, um, probably worth getting the vet out, even if it's not colic, there could be some kind of colitis underlying causing that heart rate to be really, really elevated. And then um, and then if it's associated with a fever, so above a 1015, um, then that may not be something your vet comes out immediately for that second, but something that they'll, they'll want to hear about as well as certainly lots of infectious diseases and Fevers can cause um, certain colics as well.
0: That's a good one. Okay, and here, here is the question for the ages. Do you walk a colicky horse or not?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes um, to be a, a bit tongue in cheek, um, sometimes we tell the, the owners to walk the colic just to give them something to do. I think you mentioned at the very beginning that owners are very nervous about their horse colics, because they've probably heard a lot of horror stories, some some with true merit. Um, so if if I'm headed out to a farm and I'm 45 minutes an hour away, then then yeah, I'll have the client walk the horse. Um, maybe give the horse a rest, see if it'll drink some water, but again, not offer any food in that time. If if the client is saying I I don't think you need to come out yet. I, I will emphasize that they don't have to walk the horse for four hours. We've had a couple of cases come in here where the clients have literally walked the horse all night, and it's compounded some dehydration um, in the animal and certainly exhausted the poor owner as well. Um, the other thing that, that I'll gently try to talk to clients about, certainly not in the moment when the horse is colicky because they've got other things to worry about, but a lot of owners have the preconception that a horse rolling will cause rotation of the gut, and that can be a cause of colic, and and we really don't think that's what happens. Rolling um, in an enclosed space can cause the horse to get cast, which may be a danger to itself and the people around it, but if it's in an arena, then then the horse rolling may be safest for it and the people around it if, if it wants to keep going down when they're walking. So uh, short answer, um, Yes, I think walking helps with GI motility, but probably a 20-minute a walk at a time um, rather than than hours and hours of, of that.
0: That's some good tips right there.
1: Okay, let's
0: talk about, okay, so the veterinarian has come out uh, mm-hmm. for whatever determination. So what are some of the common treatments or maybe some newer treatments that are available to veterinarians today to help horses with colic?
1: Sure, sure. Um, I think, you know, every, every vet, um, knows the, the normal colic colic protocol of physical exam, um, nasogastric intubation, uh, rectal palpation. If the animal is safe to rectal and if the owner, um, is a competent horse handler, certainly a rectal isn't a, a treatment, it's a diagnostic. So I don't want, um, I don't want anybody to, um, get a broken shin um, because they rectaled a, a horse that was maybe intractable. Um, I With rectal exams, I usually will sedate with an alpha-2 agonist xylosine, and then I'll also put an anti-muscarinic, anti-spasmodic buscopan on board just um, to to make the rectal a little easier to feel the structures, and also because it's more defensible if a rectal tear was to happen. I haven't Um, myself gotten a rectal tear from rectal palpation, nor have I been referred a horse where I think a rectal tear was due to a palpation, but it is one of those things that we all learn in our ethics class that may may be a a cause of legal action against a veterinarian. And so having a competent holder, animal sedated, animal having buscapan on board um, makes it more defensible. As far as new... Um, it's certainly not new, but I think a lot more vets have have ultrasounds out in the field. Now, if it's a curvilinear probe, then that's what we'll use in the hospital, and you can see a lot of structures up to 25, 30 centimeters deep in the abdomen for that. There's a couple of really very nice uh, flash protocol papers out there on how to ultrasound a horse for an acute abdominal crisis. Um, if, if anybody wants to email me for those resources, there's certainly... Um, they certainly can, but even if you don't have an expensive curvilinear probe, the the linear probes used for. Reproductive and rectal ultrasounds can give you some information. Um, they don't go very deep, um, but if you put it up against the inguinal region and see dilated loops of small intestines, then that's even more reason to pass an a gastric tube because there's probably some kind of obstruction within the small intestines that may be causing gastric distension. And that's also uh, more of a reason to refer the horse because if the small intestines are distended, then it's either a functional obstruction like enteritis or duodenitis proximal jejunitis, and those horses require gastric um, decompression and IV fluids, or it's a mechanical issue which may even require surgery. So, distended loops of small intestines on ultrasound can can help um, can help help with the de- decision to refer, and then the other good thing that even those linear rectal probes are are um, are helpful in is seeing free fluid. So um, if if you see a little bit of free fluid on an ultrasound and the the owner is, again, a competent horse handler, then you can perform an abdominocentesis in the field. If you see a lot of free fluid and the horse has signs consistent with the systemic infect, um, systemic inflammatory response syndrome, so really elevated heart rate, elevated temp, purple mucous membranes, dull demeanor, then, then those can be clues that the horse is actually ruptured, um, in which case an abdominocentesis for those is usually diagnostic and a ruptured horse. Um, really, the the only the only treatment for that is is unfortunately euthanasia of the animal. So um, so the linear uh, rectal probes, ultrasounding, um, and then um, and then the last thing that you may or may not want to do in the field is a belly tapper and abdominocentesis. If you've already decided that the horse um, should go to a referral center, then then certainly no need to do that in the field. I'm lucky in that I've got a small army of very competent horse handlers here at the hospital. Um, but but um, so I do abdominals and TCs on almost all of my colics out in the field. If it's just you and the owner, then then really gauge on if that owner is competent enough for you to be putting needles into this horse's belly um, with you underneath the horse. Because again, no one no one deserves to get kicked for for diagnosing a a colic. Um, But those those belly taps can certainly be helpful. The most helpful time is when the owner says, I would be okay with referral, but I will not do surgery in the horse. If you've got a 25 year old horse with distended loops of small intestines on rectal and um, they won't do surgery, then the top differential for me at that point is a strangulating lipoma for which surgery is the only option. And if you do an abdominocentesis and that abdominocentesis is serohemorrhagic in color, then then that's very likely to be a strangulating lesion. It's even more likely if you've got a lactometer on your truck and if that lactate in the belly is twice that of what's in the periphery, then that's that's very very suggestive of a strangulating lesion. Um, so so maybe. May, may help make some decisions for the owner on if they even want to refer um, that horse.
0: Today's Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, the maker of prestige vaccines, Banamine, panicure, Regimate, Protozil, and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their ongoing investment in our industry, profession, and community through programs such as the Respiratory Biosurveillance Program at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. Okay, so the veterinarians have done everything they can in the field, and they are, have had the discussion about referral, which... As you have mentioned to me before, should have been done before the horse ever got colic. Is this a referral case or not? But we all know that clients change their mind at the last minute and decide, yeah, I I want to send my 25-year-old horse in. So what can they expect and what should veterinarians expect when a horse is referred to a clinic or a vet school hospital for a colic?
1: You know, I think, Kim, that's such a great point because we talk about um, just to, to point out what you just said. We talk about trying to have clients make those decisions before a colic happens. And, and I was remiss in mentioning that at the very beginning of this discussion, um, where it is good to have that discussion with clients on, would you be willing to refer? Would you be willing to do surgery? Uh, but like you said, owners change their minds. It you know, when push comes to shove and I've been there with my own animals, you don't know what you're gonna do when, until you're faced with a, a hard decision. So um, so I, I just wanna absolutely reiterate what you just said. Um, and I think the the decision to refer is, is both hinged on how serious you as the veterinarian think the case is. Um, if, it's, if it looks like a surgical colic, absolutely refer it as soon as you can. If it looks like an intensive medical colic, then it might even be more cost effective for the owner to have it in the hospital. And it, it certainly is a reasonable option for you if you don't want to go out there multiple times a night and be rechecking that horse or running fluids or anything like that. I think uh, in this career, there's a lot of equine vets that are stretched pretty thin right now and pretty darn busy and it's always a viable option to refer a horse in just for babysitting at the hospital um so I think I got off on a bit of a tangent there did I answer your question Kim well and
0: you answered the the first part of it and and I guess probably because you and I had talked about this before we started recording the podcast so I'm glad you reiterated that so then okay so we've gotten the owner we've had the talks and we're on site. We've got the horse that the veterinarian is recommending referral. The owner says yes. What does the veterinarian expect and and how do they prepare the owner for what happens next?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And sorry again to get off on a tangent there. So, uh, was a
0: great tangent.
1: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing is um, I think a lot of it depends on how far the the horse is away from a surgical facility. Um, the if the horse had a lot of um reflux on nasogastric intubation then then some vets will will tie in the nasogastric tube and ship the horse with with the tube in i as the attending physician here at the the hospital do really try to send back those tubes to the rdvms as quickly as possible but i know everybody's got their favorite tube so it's it's a little difficult um, for RDVMs to sometimes give up their last tube, especially if they're seeing multiple colics in a night. But that's one thing vets will do if there's a lot of, of net reflux and that horse is over maybe two hours from a surgical facility. And then um, another thing vets um, may or may not do um, out in the field is run IV fluids to the horse. Um, if the horse looks very dehydrated or has a heart rate say above 80 or so showing decompensation, that may help. But most of the time running IV fluids um, just delays referrals. So I, I recommend unless the horse looks grossly dehydrated to just send them on in. And lastly, the, the vet may or may not decide to give more sedation to keep the horse at least comfortable on the trailer. I am in favor of that. Certainly, if the horse is really colicky trying to go down just because the horse can, can really hurt itself by going down in the trailer. And with that, then I'm comfortable with people giving detominine, so the longer acting alpha-2, and coupling that with an opioid such as butorphanol and giving both an IV and an IM dose if that horse is, is really painful and more than an hour away from the clinic. So so potentially in a thousand pound horse um, uh, five mgs of each im and iv now alpha twos do cause some um, some hypotension uh so lower blood pressure so it's good to to tell the vet that those are on board just so that they understand that the patient demeanor may be sedated and also so they can counsel their anesthesia team that that horse may may come in hypotensive but it um, can certainly save the horse from self-mutilating, and, um, and potentially uh, save us from pulling a horse off the trailer upside down, although we've certainly done that plenty of times, um, and, and gotten them into the surgical suite quickly. Um, the other thing I'll tell vets to counsel the owner about when referring is to not stop. Um, so that horse may go down in the trailer. Again, we can handle that at a surgical facility. That that trailer may rock and roll a little bit as that horse gets uncomfortable, but they should drive straight through to the to the hospital, um, not stop on the side of the road or anything.
0: And you have been in Colorado before, so I know that I live in Wyoming, so I'm a five and a half hour drive yeah, yeah. to CSU. So what about those places where you've got a long trip ahead of you and the owner is maybe a great horse person and great at driving the trailer, but they're all by themselves and they've got this trailer rocking and rolling and they've got a five or six hour drive ahead of them. What uh, is it you do to help?
1: Yeah, I, I really feel for those people and we have a, a wide call parameter here in Ohio as well. We, um, uh, a lot of people driving over the the hills of West Virginia, um, uh, or the mountains of West Virginia, to get here in same same call radius, so five and a half six hours. Uh, firstly, those are the ones that I'd I'd really recommend leaving a tube in if they had any net reflux, because that gastric can, uh, distension can be uncomfortable. And those are the ones where I think some I.M. detomine and butorphanol. Um, may be in order so that that should keep even a pretty moderately colicky horse um uh standing um for um for hopefully one to two hours um and then it goes back to that that vpcr where if you're a veterinarian and you really trust that that horse owner um they're they're certainly there are certainly relationships out there where um, a veterinarian may give a horse owner some sedation to give en route. I am um, if the, the the horse looks like it's really uncomfortable. Um, I think that the owner has to decide if, if they're in a safe spot for that. And, and things that I really try to counsel owners not to do are um, stop on the side of highways or uh, ride in the back with the horses. We've had a couple of owners that, that do that. Um, and those are the times where I'm really worried about human safety.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And so once the horse gets there, of course, it's not every horse that gets referred for surgery actually ends up with surgery. So that can be some good news. And you also mentioned referral for some of the med- medical treatments. Let's talk about each one of those and and uh, maybe if a veterinarian hasn't referred to a a hospital there maybe earlier in their career what can they expect from those attending veterinarians at the referral center
1: yeah yeah and um so this is this is certainly more my side of the coin um uh being here at, at ohio so i what i tell clients when they show up is I'm a surgeon, but I, I don't like to do colic surgery unless the horse absolutely needs it. I, I don't rush a horse into surgery um, unless it's absolutely indicated. Um, and when they show up, it really runs a gamut. So uh, so probably the happiest owners are the ones where they the horse walks off, and we call it a therapeutic trailer ride. That horse is just markedly more comfortable when it walks off. It may be less outwardly gas distended than when it came on less bloated and just a different animal walking off the trailer um those horses i usually like to keep overnight um unless they're really really local and the client wants a sleepless night because i want to watch them um but those are the horses where we'll still do a workup we'll still retube the horse do a rectal do a physical exam check for hydration status but but if, there, if there's a completely fit normal physical exam, I won't even put them on IV fluids. So we do try to keep costs down, especially on those, those horses where they have a quote-unquote therapeutic trailer ride. Um, uh, the other things that, that we often can handle medically here in the hospital are impactions. So pelvic flexure impactions, one of the most common causes of colic. Those are ones where if they're large impactions, often they'll get referred in for um, for fluids, both IV fluids and then even more important for treatment, oral fluids through nasogastric tubes. So those oral fluids with mineral oil or with um, laxatives certainly help move that impaction through. And one of the reasons to refer those in is if they're here at the hospital, we're, we're giving them fluids through an indwelling tube every two to four hours. We've got people here 24 hours a day. And then that's that's just not practical for the the equine vet out in the field when they're seeing other emergencies or they've had a full day and they've got another full day the next day. Um, so impaction colic, certainly we, we treat those commonly here. And then the other medical colic that's really common that we treat here are displacements. So uh, as a reminder, the colon is really only attached, um, in one area, um, on, on the dorsal colon. And then that left colon really can swing around a lot of the zip, um, the, the, um, the area of the abdomen. So a left displacement of the large colon or a nephrosplenic ligament entrapment, um, where we can palpate that colon coming up between the spleen and the left kidney on rectal, we will give them phenylephrine to shrink the the spleen um, through vasoconstriction and jog the animal here. And we'll do that once, twice um, uh, before we even start talking to the owner about surgery. And then a right displacement, um, which we see quite commonly here. I would anticipate we see the more serious ones because of referral. And about 70% of those um, we can manage medically um, just with with usually IV fluids, oral fluids, and keeping the animal comfortable with with varying doses of IV sedation without taking the horse to colic um, surgery. the the displacements we take to colic surgery are either because the animal's decompensating or they're getting so gas distended that that the colon um, cannot replace itself um, in the abdomen, or we're worried that something more um, serious might be going on like a large colon volvulus if the horse is really painful. Um, the biggest reason to take a horse to surgery um, when it arrives at the referral center is, is um, much of the same reason that you referred the horse in. It's, it's continuing of colic signs in the face of adequate analgesia. Um, and then we use ultrasound and belly tap findings to help aid in that decision as well.
0: Okay, and so it's decided with the owner's consent that this horse is a colic surgery candidate. Mm-hmm. Again, how does the vet in the field uh, stay in touch, find out about the horse's condition, and how are they working with the referral center and the owner?
1: Yeah, yeah, and this is this is probably the thing, Kim, that's changed the most in the last couple of decades. So uh, prognosis from colic surgery, used to be fairly terrible. Um, so as low as, as 30% um, in the, the 1990s, I believe that, that paper came out and that's for any horse going for an exploratory celiotomy. Um, and it's gotten a lot better. Mostly we think because the RDVMs are referring in these horses so much sooner. So these horses aren't arriving as sick. They don't have nearly as many comorbidities and we're taking them to surgery faster um, anesthesia is uh, better we can monitor these animals better but most of the reason that we've got a much better prognosis is because vets are referring them in faster so that's one thing to to talk to clients about especially clients that have had horses forever because they they may be more um, aware of the old prognoses than the newer prognoses things that will Drive a prognosis down are if the horse looks sick, if it already looks septic, if the mucous membranes look terrible, if the heart rate's really high, um, if it looks obtunded, uh, the length of colic before referral or before the vet saw it um, can all be all be causes for concern that the horse may not pull through even with surgery. Um, and then a, another thing that the the vet may counsel the owner on, our age and comorbidities. So age is not a disease. There have been a couple of really good papers out there, and it's my clinical impression that that old horses pull through colic surgery just fine, but um, but that's up to the owner on, on if they want to take a geriatric horse to surgery, what their expectations are for the animal after surgery. And the same thing for if the animal has comorbidities such as arthritis or, or um, metabolic disease or recurring laminitis events those are all things that probably the rdvm who already has that really good relationship with the client is is just as well or better suited to talk the client through and advise them on what to do with their horse than i am on the first time meeting a client as far as how does a a vet know it is my goal for the vet to know as soon as the owner does on when um when and, and what we're finding on workup on the horse. So, um, so usually what we'll do here is ask the vet if they want to call, even if it's two o'clock in the morning to let them know what's going on with the horse, just in case, um, they just want to know. And then if not, I'll try to call the vet first thing the next morning, just let them know what we found. Um, text messages have been great. There's a lot of vets that, that are too busy to be on the phone. Um, uh, and, and so often I'll send them a text with with findings and then they can always call me later. Um, and and most of the vets in the area um, have my cell phone number and they can call me at any time. But I know it's the most frustrating thing and I feel like I've failed an RDVM. If the client knows how their horse is doing before the vet does and the client calls their vet to ask their impression and the, and the vet has to really uh, glean information before before we have that conversation so i try to avoid that at all costs
0: well, i'm sure that 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 will make a lot of veterinarians feel better
1: hopefully it's not i'm not 100% successful but hopefully i apologize profusely when it does happen
0: okay and is there anything else about equine colic that you would like to cover in our podcast today
1: i you know i think the the big soap boxes i have are our early referral is main reason for our our increasing successes in these days. Um, Not all colics that are referred in need to go to surgery, um, but our surgery rates are better. Um, And and also geriatric horses, uh, age is not a disease. So those are the the big ones that I wanted to cover today. Um, There's a reason I haven't talked money. Um, at all or estimates, and that's because, Kim, it really varies in this country. So the the one thing, if a vet moves to a new area and they think they're going to be referring colics into a surgical center, then I'd advise them to call up that surgical center and just ask him what a normal colic workup costs, what a normal medically managed colic costs, and what a normal surgical colic costs, both if if a resection is indicated and not because those, those numbers are gonna be vastly different geographic region to geographic region. So I um, so just wanted to point. throw that out there.
0: That, that's a very good point.
1: Okay, well, again, thank you very
0: much, Dr. Gardner, for joining us today on this episode of Disease Du Jour. And we wanna thank our listeners for joining us on this important topic of colic, because if you haven't had it yet, you'll have it soon Um, in one of your client's horses. So uh, we appreciate all the the great tips that Dr. Gardner shared with us today. And we invite our listeners to rate our episodes of Disease Du Jour on wherever you listen, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, or you can listen on equimanagement.com on the article page. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can send an email to me at at kbrownequinenetwork.com. Disease du jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.